uh, introduce to you Chris Culver, who is a good friend of Pastor Robinson. Um, he is the pastor of Birmingham Community Church, and he is going to be coming with today's message. So let's give him a warm double oak welcome. I've never once called him Pastor Robinson. That's, I like that. <laughs> I think I will from now on. Uh, what an, like, it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, uh, honored to be asked back. I, I got to preach here before. Um, that's why they didn't tell you I was going to be here so you'd come. They were worried. Um, I can't understand what that guy says. He moves faster than Adam. Um, last time I was here, I told you guys how much I love uh, your pastor uh, because of uh, just how faithful he's been to me, uh, the kindness that he's shown me, uh, just pursuing me in a difficult time in my life. Uh, today, uh, I want to tell you that not only do I, I love him, like I just have so much respect for that guy. He, uh, not only is he smart, and I don't say that about a lot of people, that kid's got some horsepower upstairs, uh, but not only that, even more than that, uh, he is a man of conviction and character. Uh, when I think of people uh, that exhibit uh, fruits of the Spirit, right? Uh, gentleness, kindness, joy, peace, mercy. Like, that's Adam. He is just a good, good dude, and I know you guys love him too. Uh, if you don't, get right with Jesus, because uh, he's, he's a good dude. Uh, I, I love him and honored that he would ask me to, to uh, trust me to be here and speak to you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in, I hope you do. They're wonderful things to have. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 90 today, Psalm 90. Um, while you're turning there, uh, th this is a season uh, uh, called Lent. I, I didn't grow, if you didn't grow up observing or thinking about the church calendar, uh, welcome to the club. I did not either. Um, not only did I not grow up observing a church calendar, uh, I, it, it, uh, I, I treated it with suspicion, right? We, I kind of grew up treating it with suspicion. It, it kind of occupied the same place in my brain as Ouija boards, you know, like, uh, like uh, I don't know, like that's very, like we all knew someone who had one and they seemed okay, you know, but uh, maybe that's how the devil gets you. Like, no, I'm out. I don't want, I don't want to open those doors. So uh, I kind of was suspicious. And as I got older and learned more about what was going on, was exposed to other traditions, I realized that the church season is helpful because our lives have Helpful to me, so this is how I'm thinking right now. Not everybody does this, and that's fine. Uh, but helpful to me because life has rhythm. Your day has a rhythm. Right at the beginning of Genesis, it talks about how God, uh, God built rhythms into creation. And so um, our lives and our, our years have rhythms. In the South, the natural rhythms are, you know, uh, football season, the month of Christmas, uh, you know, uh, spring break, uh, summer, and waiting for football season. Like those are the seasons, like, like the natural rhythm that controls traffic, right? How you spend your money, how you spend your time. Like those are the natural rhythms of the South. Uh, the problem is those rhythms aren't super helpful, right? They just kind of cause anxiety and stress and financial, uh, you know, hardship. Uh, the church calendar is built annually around the life of Christ. And so the, one of the reasons it helps me is especially this season, it, it kind of pushes me to think about things I'm not naturally going to fall into thinking about, right? <laughs> like, like the season of Lent, traditionally what people think about, what we meditate on and, 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 and spend time uh, talking about is our mortality and sin. As we prepare for the celebration of Easter, it's a season of fasting for a lot of people, a lot of churches around the world. Now, it's not... Uh, not everybody should do it, but it's been so helpful to me because I'm not going to naturally wake up and think about my mortality. That's not a fun thing to do. But it's important and it's valuable. 
uh, how then, you know, how we're supposed to live. And so this psalm is, is so helpful to us. The psalms, by the way, are, are the, they're the prayers of the people of God, right? Like, if you're looking to learn how to pray, uh, you start with the uh, Lord's Prayer, uh, how the, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and then you move to the Psalms. It's how we learn the language of prayer. It's how we learn the habit of prayer. It's how we learn what to pray for. The Psalms are incredibly valuable. They're well-structured, they're well-organized. Psalm 1 kind of sends as a heading. Actually, Psalm 90 is the, is the start of uh, the fourth book of the Psalms. Uh, and I just find them incredibly, incredibly helpful. Uh, not only are they poems or poetry or music or prayers, they're also parts of them are what we would call wisdom literature. Uh, this ancient way of teaching uh, that gives you something that you need to return to over and over and over again to understand it. And every time you do, uh, through your life, you, you discover new things. The Spirit teaches you new things. It's a way, it's something that you're supposed to wrestle with. And this Psalm 90 has elements of wisdom literature. There are things in here that we're supposed to wrestle with. Also, it's got all the hallmarks of what's called a lament uh, by Bible nerds. I say that with great affection. I'm, I'm jealous of them. Uh, but the, they call it a lament because uh, a lament is a holy and good sadness, right? When you're supposed to be sad, it's part of life. It's, uh, I heard somebody say it this way, that it is a disburdening our cares to God. And so there's elements of a lament here in this psalm. Uh, it's about us learning how to live well. Uh, Let's read this. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Uh, let's stop right there just for a second. Um, so this, this psalm is attributed to Moses. It's the only psalm attributed to Moses, the, the man of God. Uh, not everybody believes that this psalm was written by Moses. A lot of people believe that it was written in the voice of Moses. Um, uh, but here's a couple of reasons why I think it was written by Moses. Uh, one, it says so right there. A prayer of Moses. Uh, so all of the evidence that it's not him... It's kind of overwhelmed by that. Uh, the second reason I believe this, if you know anything about Moses' life, man, like this is, this, is what, this is the psalm he would have written. Like it's just, it's so beautiful. Moses was this man that God used to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery. They were in Egypt, they were slaves, and God sent this man, Moses, and he said, listen, you're gonna go and you're gonna take these people out of slavery and you're gonna lead them to the, to the promised land, the land that I promised to this guy named Abraham a long time ago that he was gonna, that his descendants were gonna have. I promised Abraham, I promised his son Isaac and his son Jacob that they would be in this land and Moses, I'm gonna use you to take my people the descendants of Abraham, to this land. And that was what God was going to do through Moses. And he's going to take them and lead them into the land. And what's crazy about this story is that as God, do, God does this, he does this miraculous thing and he, he rescues the people from slavery in Egypt and they drive them out. Uh, the, the Egyptians actually just drive them out, uh, say, you guys got to go. And they give them money too. They're like, here, take stuff with you. Uh, it's amazing the miracle that God does. Uh, but instead of just zapping them there, right? Like I, I read that sometimes and I'm like, if God can do all these miracles, why don't he just zap his people to the promised land? You know, like why, why this 40 years in the desert thing? And, and it's because, well... Not only does God want to give them the promised land that Moses is leading them to, he wants them to be people who can live in the land well. 
He doesn't want them to be like the people that are there now. They have to be different. And to be different, we have to go through things. God is not content with just giving them the promises. He wants to change them along the way. I think sometimes we worry about so much about where we're going and why doesn't God just zap me there? And I think the answer is because if God just zapped us there, I'd still be the same person when I got there that I am now. I need to be different. So he's changing us. And so Moses is going to lead them on this time, through this time of testing, because they're supposed to be the people of God, this, this light to the nations. And it's going to be like 40 years. And, and, and the people, man, they just, they just can't do it, right? They just can't do it. On the way to the, on the, way to the land, uh, and, and even when they get in the land after Moses has, has passed on, what we find is just this cycle of disobedience, Right? This is over and over and over, this disobedience and repentance, disobedience. Uh, they'll be disobedient and God will, in, a, in an attempt to correct their hearts and make them, make them rely on him, they'll, he'll send an army or, or another nation to, to take over and to rule and they'll cry out to God and God will send someone to save them and then when everything's going good again, they go back to their ways doing whatever they want and God has to, I wish that cycle didn't feel familiar. The reason that they do this, the reason they fall into this cycle over and over again is because they forget. And this psalm is time for times like that. It's for times when we lose track of reality. Moses starts out this psalm and he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. He led a people who didn't have a home. Right? They, these people, they were wandering through the desert. They didn't have a fortress to run to. They didn't have a strong tower to hide in. They didn't have any of these things. And Moses says, God, in all this time, you've been our dwelling place. You've been faithful to be the one that we can run to for protection, even when we didn't have city walls. He says, you are our protection. And then he says this, before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed or conceived the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It starts out with this hymn and this praise of God who has been their protector for generations, who has been faithful and who is everlasting from, from, from beginning to end, eternal, everlasting to everlasting. This is who you are. And then he says this, verse three. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch of the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sin in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I want to stop there for a second. Uh, this has to be Moses who wrote this. Uh, also, here's the deal. I, I think this is probably an old man's psalm. 
right? It's hard to imagine Moses writing this at 21, right? You know? Uh, this is somebody my age or older, right? He's looking back at the span of their life and going like, ugh, you know? He says that we are ashes. I, Moses is looking back at his life, and, and Moses lived a rough life. I, I, don't, I know that I kind of always understood that. Moses grew up in the palace, an Egyptian palace, even though he was a Hebrew. So he didn't really fit in there, right? Always an outsider. One day he decides that he knows he's a Hebrew, and one day he decides he's going to try to rescue the Hebrews himself. Uh, uh, and so he goes out and he tries to do this thing for them, uh, and uh, he ends up, he kills a guy. And then uh, the Hebrew, he goes to the Hebrews the next day, and, and he finds that they've rejected him too. His own people, the house he grew up in. So he has to flee. And he runs to this, he goes to this land called Midian. So he's out of the land he grew up in. He's away from his people. He ends up marrying a woman in that land. Uh, and he work, ends up working for her, her father-in-law. They have a son. It's her first father-in-law, her dad. And they have a son. And Moses, this is so sad, names him a word that sounds like sojourner. Gorsham. He, he says, he names his kid, I don't belong here. That was Moses' life. And then, when he's like 80 years old, God says, hey, listen, I need you to go back. I want you to lead the people out. So he does this. It's a long story. He's like, I don't want to. Hard pass. I tried that once. And God's like, no, nah, you're going to do it. And so he goes and he leads the people out uh, from slavery. And then he spends the next 40 years of his life wandering in a desert with a people that won't pull it together. This dude just didn't have a home his whole life. Just really never knew home. And he looks at the span of his life and he writes this psalm and says, we were made from dust and we'll return to dust. That's who we are. It's the reality of our lives. The creative act in Genesis is so beautiful. God bends down into the dirt of the earth and he shapes man and he breathes life into him. He puts a spirit, in, a spirit inside of him and man is animated dust. And it's this beautiful story, but because of sin... God says, like, they can't live like this way forever. So because of sin, because of your rebellion against me, because you cannot obey, your, your life will be cut short. And from ashes, for dust you came until dust you return. And Moses looks at his life and he just realizes that this is the reality. Because of sin, that is what it is like. And it's so important for us to realize this, that our, the biggest problem in our life, we have so many things that we think about and so many things going on, the biggest underlying problem in our life is sin. That is the thing underneath everything. And what Moses has done here, I think this is so beautiful, is he set up this contrast, right? He presents us with two truths. A God who is eternal and faithful, he's from everlasting to everlasting, and man, humanity, who's like morning to evening. There's this huge contrast because Moses has seen the tragedy you see the tragedy here? Here's the tragedy. <laughs> the tragedy is this, is that we animated dust heaps often arrive at places in our life when we think the eternal God doesn't really know how to manage our life. How many times have I looked at my, <laughs> looked at my God and said, I, I don't think you're doing it right. How many times have I looked at my situation and said, hey, if I were God, I would do things differently as if he's not eternal and I am ash. 
And we get these things out of whack and it causes all manner of problems, all types of sin, rebellion, hurt. We begin to look for shortcuts. In our suffering or in our struggle or in our desire, we begin to look for shortcuts and it just goes sideways. And what ends up happening is, and what happens to the people of Israel when they get to the land, is that we forget the reality that I was made from dust and will return to dust and he is the eternal God. And when we forget that reality, how do we expect things to go well? When we get those things out of order, there's no way for us to live wisely if we do not understand this reality. And what it starts this way, the people begin, and we get busy about life, and what happens is we begin to stop giving God his proper place in our heart. And it begins to drift. And here's the thing, when we stop giving God his proper place in our heart, the proper place in our life, something else will fill that place. And what happens is our loves become disordered. And when our loves become disordered, we dethrone God and it results in disorder in our life. It causes all manner of problems. We forget who God is, we forget who we are, and there's no way for us to live wisely. We begin to start listening to the voices around us, wanting the wrong things. Our loves become disordered and our lives become disjointed. So, as a few years ago, I started, you know, I didn't, you know, Started going through some stuff, thinking about things. Look, I'm in my mid-40s now. Uh, and when I was a kid, I was certain my parents had it all together. They looked like they had everything. They had answers to everything. And now in my 40s, and I'm like, they were just liars. Like, they were just faking. Like, they didn't, there's no way they knew. Like, they acted like they knew. They didn't know. They were just faking it like I'm faking it. And I began this place in my life, uh, in my, you know, that I begin to ask this question. Does anything I do matter? Like I, I think maybe COVID helped me along with that question. You know, maybe that planted that in my brain. But does anything that I do matter? Or better yet, as I kind of meditated on this and thought about it for a while, as that question kept coming up in my mind, it began to solidify into a better question. What is it that I do that matters? And what is it that I do that doesn't matter? What are the things that I do that that are important? What are the things that I do that will last and have an impact? And are there things that I am doing that won't? And this psalm helps me with that. He says that what we have to do is that we have to number our days. What is it that I'm supposed to do in light of the reality that I was made from dust and I will return to dust? And this is not just, by the way, a... Christian question. This is a human question. Christians aren't the only ones that are aware that we come from, that we'll we'll, we'll return to dust. It's a universal question. And this psalm is for gaining wisdom about how we're supposed to live. And Moses' answer is is very different than other answers. Um, And I, he starts with this, don't push that reality away. We as humans have a tendency to push the reality of our mortality far from us. And Moses says, don't push it far from you. There's no way to live wisely if you push it far from you. I remember when the moment in my life when this came crashing in on me, this reality of how fragile life was. I had a young son. And my wife, middle of the night, wakes me up violently. Shaking me, you know. I said, she goes, there's somebody in the house. What? And I hear, I finally am aware, I hear uh, our dog, uh, Sylvester McMonkey McBean. I hear Bean just losing his mind. 
Like he's just barking and screaming. Like he's just go, like, and he's, this, Bean is just the dumbest dog I've ever known. And, and, but he's sweet as can be. And he's, I've never heard him bark like this. And he's just going crazy. And so I, I jump up and I'm like, oh, uh, I, 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 I'm not a gun person, but I, I have one. And so I, look, I, look for, I was looking for the gun and, and I, I found it. And I, and I turned to my wife and, and from somewhere on her side of the bed, she's produced a shotgun. I, 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 I've never seen it before. And she rolls it on its side uh, so she can watch the shell enter the chamber. She, she she racks the slide because uh, my wife is from Mississippi and that's how they do. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so uh, so uh, I look at her and I'm like, well, what? we'll talk about this later. Uh, uh, you stay here, right here. And so I, I jump up out of bed and I, I go, I open the door and I, I, I start sneaking down the hall and I can hear Bean just screaming. Uh, and about that time, I feel a tap on my shoulder and I'm like, ah! And I, I turn and look and uh, my wife has followed me out of the bedroom. I'm like, what are you doing? Get back in there. She's like, shh, you're going to wake up. Gibson, that's my son. I'm like, go back to, like, you, your priorities are all out of whack. I'm like, go back in the bedroom. So I start, so she goes back in the bedroom, and I yell for Bean. And in a rare, weird situation, he actually minds me for the first time. He was running down, and he sits beside me, and he's just, like, frothing in the mouth. I've never seen Bean like this. And I, I'm terrified. And I yell down the hall. Take what you want. I've called the police. That was a lie. I hadn't. Uh, I've repented. Uh, I, I, but don't come down the hall. And after a moment of silence, what I hear is down, through, down the hall, down through the kitchen, on the other side of the kitchen is a little sunroom. I hear this from the piano. Bong, 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 bong. And like 10 years of my life just drained away. Because now the situation is different. Before someone's broken in to steal a TV, now for sure they're wearing a clown mask. Right, like, who plays the piano? Like, I was like, oh, gosh, this is a nightmare. So I, I round the corner, and I, I don't know what to do, like Charlie's Angel style, right? Uh, and so uh, as, I, as I walk down the hall through the kitchen, I see on the piano two beady eyes staring back at me. And it was a raccoon who had come in through the dog door and being had scared up onto the piano. Then that thing jumps off the piano and starts coming at me. I'm like, ah! And so I go running. Right back to the hall, I hit the door, I throw open the door. Remember, remember my wife has a shotgun. Hit the ground and roll. Uh, and uh, she just leans over the edge of the bed and is like, what's wrong with you? I told her what's going on. And the solution I came up with was to put on all my clothes. Uh, my thinking was, if I had enough layers on, maybe the rabid raccoon couldn't get to me, you know? Bean and I go and search the house. Apparently it went out the way it came in. I nailed up the, the, the dog door. And go back to bed, and I'm laying there, um, not able to sleep, thinking about how fragile everything I love is, how everything can be taken away from us, how scary this world is. And I remember just laying there, realizing that I had a choice, that I could try to manage this myself that I could try to control all of these things myself, that I could try to protect and keep everybody safe, that I could try and try and try to manage all of this myself, to control everything myself, or I could just trust God. Turns out I'm really bad at trying to manage all these things myself. And God is really faithful. And so this is the choice we have when we're faced with the reality of the situation that he is eternal. And Moses says this, or sorry, it's a, there's ways that we deal with this, this moment, this realization. One of the ways that the secular world encourages us to deal with this is 
to make up meaning for yourself? Uh, while I'm here, I have to make up meaning for myself. Uh, I was not too long ago, a few years ago, uh, I was at a restaurant that we frequent, um, my family and I, uh, so much so that we know the, kind of got to know the wait staff pretty well and know the owners really well. And, and so we're eating and, and uh, our waitress, is, she's been owner for years and she's about to graduate and go to college. And uh, my wife is just making chit chat, like, what are you going to go study? And she says something and then says, like, I just, you know, I just want a job. I want to go work for a nonprofit. I just, need my jo- I just need my job to mean something. Sometimes I forget that I'm a pastor and people weigh my words differently than I intend them to. What I said in that moment was, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It did not land well. My wife just looks at me and Lich Lozer has her shaking her head. And she's like, what are you talking about? I go, I mean, what are you going to do that for? I mean, like, your parents are going to pay for school, right? She's like, yeah. And I go, you're academically accomplished, right? She's like, yeah. I go, well, if you really care about that nonprofit, why don't you just go make 120 grand a year, live off the 30 they were going to give you, give them the 90. They'd rather have that than you. <laughs> Found out years later that was very hurtful. But my point was this. My point wasn't that you don't go to work for nonprofits. That's noble work to do. Uh, my wife worked for a nonprofit for a very long time. They, they do great work. My, my point wasn't don't go work for a nonprofit. My point that I was trying to make and did poorly was this. Meaning is too much to ask for your, from your job. It's too much to ask from your job to give you meaning and purpose. Your job's not built to hold that up. You know what else isn't? Your children. If you expect them to give you meaning and purpose, you will destroy them. They're not built to hold that much. Relationship? It's too much to ask. Your relationships aren't built to hold that kind of weight. The weight of meaning and purpose? To look at your spouse and be like, I need you to give me meaning and purpose for the rest of my life. That's a lot. Much less a job. One of the things that we do, that's a hard way to live. It's a tough reality to try to live that way. Another way that people try to live is comfort and pleasure, right? That's what Paul said he'd do if Jesus wasn't real. Paul said, hey, if the resurrection isn't real, eat, drink, and be merry. Throw a party. Tomorrow we die. And there's people that try to live that way. I tried it for a while. I do not recommend it. Weirdest thing, I spent much of my life trying every day to make myself as happy as I could and six months in found myself more miserable than I've ever been. I'm not saying that'll happen to you, but pretty good chance. It's too much to ask. So if we can try to comfort and we try to find pleasure, another way that people I think live today, and I think this might be the saddest, is just distracting ourselves. Just watch Netflix till we die. Just looking at our phones until it's over. Just distracting ourselves from the reality. Moses' answer is very different. Moses says, give us a heart to number our days. Give us wisdom to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To realize that we have limited time. Don't push that uncomfortable reality away. Bring it in close. Understand the fleeting and fragile life that we live. 
But then also this. This is the amazing part. Verse 13. Verse 12. So let's do this. Let's read the rest of it. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a prayer. He asked God for these things. He says, God, satisfy us with your steadfast pursuing love. God, make us rejoice for at least the number of days that we've been sad. Do a mighty thing so that the next generation knows about you. And God, just establish the work of our hands. The things that we do, make them matter. The Bible says that God buried Moses on a mountain outside of the promised land. I wonder if we, when he got to heaven, right, or wherever, you know, he goes to be with Jesus, you know, uh, he goes to be in God's presence. I wonder if when he got there, he asked about this psalm. Hey, uh, all those things that I prayed and asked for, what happened? And I wonder if they begin to explain to him, do you want to know? You asked for God's pursuing love, that he would pursue your love. Do you know what he did? He became flesh and dwelt among us. He pursued us. And Moses is like, what? That's more than I could have dreamed of. And they're like, yep, you know what else? He gives us access to eternal life through Jesus. And Moses is like, what? Eternity with God? Yep, that's what he made possible through Jesus. And and Moses' mind is blown. You know when you ask for him to do a mighty work? God became killable. And Moses is like, what? How is that possible and he says yes and he established the work of our hands did he do that he's like you have no idea what he's done and then Moses it says in the Hebrew did a dance like this I made that up he didn't really say that (laughs) but I mean like you can imagine that right I mean like his mind is blown at the goodness of God to answer these prayers in Jesus do you ever wonder if Moses thought his life was a failure I mean, he wanted to go to the promised land, right? He wanted to help his people. Doesn't work out. <laughs> he wants to go to the promised land. Doesn't work out. Ask God if he can see his face. God says no. He leads a people who grumble and complain the whole way. You ever wonder if he thought, like, man, I wonder if any of the things that I did matter. There's this crazy scene, though. Jesus uh, he takes these guys with him, these uh, uh, Peter, James, and John, these dudes that followed him around. And he takes them up on a mountain. And there's this, um, what I've taken to calling an Eden moment. There's moments in the Bible where whatever it is that separates where God is and where we are, uh, the veil, the, I don't know, man, but it just breaks in, you know, where somehow eternity invades time and space like it will one day completely. 
And that's, he has this one of these moments. It's called the transfiguration. And so they're there with Jesus and they see him just like glowing white. And they're like, what is happening? And then all of a sudden Moses is there with them. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And they're freaking out. And Jesus is talking to these, these people. I wonder if Moses, I mean, can you imagine that moment for Moses? He asked to see the face of God and he gets to stare into the face of Jesus. He asked to see the promised land and he meets Jesus in the promised land. He asked to know how we're gonna get there and he gets to meet and have a conversation with Jesus, with God himself. I wonder if he thought it was a failure and then he gets to see Jesus like this and it's just, I just think it had to be overwhelming. Because, you know know what? John 15. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says this. Uh, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus begins to teach this reality that the life of the eternal one, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, through Jesus, that life begins to flow into the life of the ashes. The eternal quality of life that is with God through union with Jesus now begins to flow into the life of the followers of Jesus so that we produce fruit. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians, he said, we do not lose heart though our outer self may be wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our life, life is being produced inside of us. So how then do we live in light of this reality that the life of the eternal God flows into the life of the ones that he has created, what do we now go and do? You know, Psalm 1 says, um, the heading of this whole section, Psalm 1 says, um, that the man who lives the blessed life, the, the life that people would be jealous of, Walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers, the wicked are not so. Like chaff, the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I heard a guy say recently, this philosopher, he said, nobody thinks they're sitting in the counsel of the wicked, right? Have you ever thought in your life, you know what I'm doing? Counsel the wicked right now. <laughs> Surrounded by witches, you know? Nobody thinks we're sitting in the counsel of the wicked. And, and, and I guess I just let that go past. Here's what, here's what this philosopher said. He said, the counsel of the wicked is just how most people talk. He said, the counsel of the wicked is to live as if it were not true that you are an eternal being, part of God's beautiful design and plan. To, live, to listen to the counsel of the wicked is to live as if aging were something to worry about. 
To listen to the counsel of the wicked is to believe that it is an important thing that our, that our appetites are satisfied and that that's a good way to live. Well, that makes me very uncomfortable because I do listen to these voices. I do listen to these things. That is the counsel of the wicked. So how then do we live? Moses says two things. We number our days and we believe that God is doing something in the future. Here's how we live. Here's how we know that our, this, the, the things that we do matter. Here is what it comes down to. The things that we do that matter, the things that we do that will last, the things that we do that God will establish are obedience. Our obedience. That's what God will establish, our obedience. And here's why that's such good news. It's such good news because anybody can do it. I think sometimes we think we have to do these great works of God and I'm telling you that every single morning, every single day, we can be obedient. We cannot listen to the, to the counsel of the wicked. We can listen to the counsel that we get from scripture. We can number our days and live wisely. Ruth, you, know this, you heard the story of Ruth? Oh man, I think this is one of the greatest, I just love this. This is one of the greatest mic drops in all the Bible after the resurrection. Uh, uh, so Ruth, uh, this woman named, it's a story about this woman named Naomi, and uh, she just has a rough life, man. She loses her kids, she loses her husband, she loses everything. All she has left is this Moabite woman that follows her back home, right? Uh, this, this daughter-in-law, and there's nothing, and she's like, I don't know, like, they're living lives poor. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a terrible, sad story. And then at the end, Ruth meets uh, someone who redeems her, uh, marries her, and, and, and they have a child, And this is how the book of Ruth ends. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Man, what a beautiful story. But it doesn't end there. Then the book ends this way. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi didn't know this. Naomi didn't know what was going on. She is just being faithful and obedient. She's caring for this child. She is being grateful to God. She's simply being obedient. She dies not knowing that through her faithfulness, God brings the Messiah into the world. You do not know what God will establish from your simple obedience. We do not know what God will do. We feel sometimes like we have to do these big things or what's the next big thing that God will have for me? And how about this? What if you just love your neighbor as yourself? Fight for unity. Forgive. And the temptation is to go, I don't think you understand what you're asking for me to do. It's too difficult to do these things. It's too hard to forgive, to love my neighbor as myself. How could I ever possibly be happy or live a fulfilled life doing that? And that's when we remind ourselves that we are ashes, animated ashes, and the eternal God knows better than we do how to live and live wisely. To just go ahead and be obedient. And here's a controversial thing I'll say, even when you don't feel like it. If you feel like not loving your neighbor, just go ahead and do it anyway. To lay down your life to see your spouse flourish 
to look at someone and forgive them even though it causes you great pain, you do not know what God will do with your obedience. Except for this, he will establish the fruit into eternity. You want to know the things that matter? You want to know the things that count, the things that last? It is the things that God calls us to do that we obediently do. They produce fruit that lasts into eternity. And it's available to all of us because of our union with Jesus, because of what he accomplished and what he did. The eternal life of the living God flows into us, giving us the strength to do this. And because we are attached to him, our life produces fruit that lasts into eternity through our simple obedience. How beautiful. How then do we live? Obediently. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much for your kindness to us. To come together with the people of God, to sing the songs of God in the presence of God, to be renewed, to be encouraged. That the life that we are living, if, living, if lived obediently, if lived loving, if lived listening to Jesus, being shaped by worship in your word, Living that way, it matters. And I thank you for all the times that we get to see the effect of obedience. We're not owed that, but I pray that we also have faith that you will do mighty things, that you will bring about the kingdom through the obedience of your people. Give us courage, give us strength. Mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. The band is gonna sing, play, lead and here's what I want you to do with this time here's what I would encourage you ask you to do with this time respond to a God who has already spoken if the response is to worship and celebrate worship and celebrate if it's to repent and confess repent and confess if it is to just be still and know that he is God be still and know that he is God whatever he calls you to do that's what you should do if you have Questions about Jesus? There's nothing I'd rather talk to you about more. I'll be sitting right here. You are standing right here. Please come grab me. If you need someone to pray for you, I will be here. There's nothing I would rather do than pray for you and, and, and talk to you about Jesus. So whatever God tells you to do, we're gonna do in this moment. So stand and sing with us.